Are, are we on? Oh, we're on. Okay, very good. Second <laughs> uh, Timothy three verse one. If you'd look there, please. We're going to jump around in the scriptures. Probably the smartest thing you can do if you don't take notes is take notes. If you do take notes, just take the references. What the world needs now is not love. I'm not sure if when they sang that it was physical love or if it was emotional love. Barbara Streisand said, it feels so good to be in love. And, and that was some of, one of the things that motivated her in one of her movies to move on with life, to feel good about life, to overcome obstacles. But Jesus doesn't say what the world needs now is love. What the world needs now is Jesus. And if we're trying to build a New Testament church, we can't go for a New Testament church. We have to go for what the New Testament church went for. The New Testament church didn't try and have a certain kind of an organization, whether it was plurality of elders or a pastor teacher or an evangelistic ministry or Bible studies or Sunday school. What the New Testament church went for, their focus, their goal, their direction was Jesus Christ. That is the goal of my life. That is the goal, hopefully, of your life. That was the goal of the first century Christians. It wasn't about having a career. It wasn't about making money. It wasn't about all the other things that the American dream talks about. It wasn't Oprah, pursue your passion. It wasn't join the army and be all you can be. The goal of the New Testament church was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's what we're going to talk about today. And in first, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, there is a last days realization that God wants to bring us to. And we have to understand this, and we have to move with it, and we have to do something about it. But realize this, that in the last days, what's going to come? Difficult times. Now, I would say to you, not they will come, they've already come. And more and more will come. It doesn't matter whether you are pre, mid, or post about the tribulation. Because all of you who are pre, before it happens, pre-tribulation, before the rapture happens and we go up, there will be very, very, very difficult times that we will have to face. If you are mid, you're going to go through three and a half years of peace, and then wham, you get raptured. If you are post, oh... The last three and a half years will be the most difficult times on the earth, so much so that the Lord will have to shorten and stop it, and He's going to have to come back. Difficult times are already here. Some of you, you don't have a savings. You don't have a retirement. You don't have any equity in your home. You've lost your job. The people that you were living with have kicked you out. What are you going to do? Difficult times are already here for so many of you. There are those of you, you're just waiting to die. You're a little bit elderly and you've had a good life and you're waiting to die. Hitler said, I will build the Third Reich on two groups, the youth and the elderly. And he got to them, he got to the elderly people and he said, your country needs you. They went to work in the factories while the young people went to war. He built a fantastic, powerful dynasty, which fortunately was... Not successful, 
but he relied on the old people who were waiting to die with their infirmities. Right? But he rallied them and they, they rose to the occasion. Difficult times will come. Now some people say, well, you know, God's in control. Don't need to worry. He's going to take care of everything. Some people say, my God shall supply all of your needs. When the difficult times come, well, God, he's just going to supply everything. Or we quote Romans 8.28 and we say, what? All things together for good. Well, it's all going to work out, brother. Just trust the Lord. What I want to suggest to you is that there is something in the scriptures that we have missed. In the midst of the difficult times, there is a direction that we have to go in. Now, Rob asked me to talk about evangelism. If you turn to Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. This is traditionally how we approach evangelism in most of our churches. And he gave some as, and we're going to get the five-fold leadership gifts that have been given to the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and, and some as teachers. And so the, the gifts that have been given to us, we have the five talent gifts right here. We've got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. And we rely on a Billy Graham. We, have, we rely on the Lewis Palau's, the evangelists that have a special gift. And they go out and they preach the word in the stadium and a lot of people come and receive the Lord. Billy Graham's organization found, oh, it's not working. People are getting saved. In 48, he went to, to London preached. A lot of people got saved. In fact, so much so that they've said that over the years, 80% of the people in England have gotten saved, but they're not walking with the Lord. Waylon Moore wrote a book called New Testament Follow-Up, and he identified something because Jesus said, make converts. No, he said, make disciples. And the missing element, the missing key was, we were making converts. And Billy would go out and he would preach and a lot of people would get saved and get converted. But they didn't have the follow-up. And so what did the Billy Graham organization do? They came up with a follow-up program. And there were certain steps that you went through. And, and you learned things like, well, you're supposed to read your Bible and you're supposed to pray and you're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to witness. You're supposed to tithe. Okay? You're supposed to live a holy life. <coughs> and he went through all of those things and still... People were falling away. It wasn't just enough to learn. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible. Those are the typical answers that we give. Having a problem, brother? Well, just read your Bible and pray. Campus Crusade did the same thing. They came up with their ten steps. The transferable concepts. Almost exactly the same as Billy Graham. And Jesus said, make disciples. And as Ed said, you have to be one first before you can then make disciples. Okay? Not just converts. <clears throat> the five talents, okay? Now we know about the two talents, right? If you look here, next verse. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are to be equipping the saints. That's you and me. 
And the saints come in two categories, two talent and one talent. The two talent people are the people who normally will lead worship or they're teaching Sunday school or they're active in some form of ministry through the church. And the rest of us, the one talent people, we sit in the pews. We're spectators, not participants. I believe that God is calling today, not so much for the five talent, not so much for the two talent, because there is a core of people who do most of the ministry in this church. 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. I believe that what God is calling today is you and me, the one talent people, to step out and live the life of Christ that lives within us. Now, you may remember Calvary Chapel back in the late 60s, early 70s when they started. And Chuck, he'd been leading Bible studies for a long time. He had a Thursday night Bible study in his home. And he was teaching, just, just teaching the Bible. And before long, he had 20,000 people. They moved out of his home into a chapel. The chapel was too small. They moved into a tent. The tent was too small. They moved into this big sanctuary. There were 20,000 people active in the, the meetings at Calvary Chapel. And all the pastors around him going, what's the secret? Chuck, tell us. We want to have a mega church too. We want to have lots of numbers and lots of money. And, and Chuck said, there's no secret. I've just been teaching the word. And the believers just came. And they said, oh, come on, you're doing something. There's some kind of special program. There's a special teaching when you teach the Word. You have special committees. There's something you're doing that is really spectacular because look at the results. Chuck said, well, there is one committee. And they go, what? E.F. Hutton, Right? Chuck said, I have 20,000 people who love the Lord and He is the center and focus of their life. That's all it is, brothers. And he was able to teach that because he lived it. And you go into a meeting in the tent. I was there. And the meeting would start before the meeting. People were singing. People were sharing Scripture. People were praying. The meeting started before the meeting. Why? Because it was a lifestyle. It wasn't something where they went and they just waited for somebody else to lead them in worship. It was something that happened automatically in the lives of those believers. The one talent people. God is calling out in all of the Christian churches the one talent people like you and like me. And you may go, well, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I have too many responsibilities. I'm too old. I'm not trained. I don't know Greek and Hebrew. God has called you anyway. God has called every single one of us. 1 Corinthians 14.26, if you'd look there, please. this passage, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about meetings in the church. What is the outcome? What is the final say? What is it that we can say, brethren? 
when you assemble, when you come together, could be in a church like this, could be in a home group, could be two or three people at work. Each one has a psalm or a song, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. There are different people in the church and when we come, we share out of whatever God has given to us. We share with one another. It might be a song, it might be a teaching, it might be a revelation. It might be a tongue, it might be an interpretation. That list is not exhaustive, it's only suggestive. And the idea is the Holy Spirit is going to come with its primary ministry. The Holy Spirit's primary ministry is to manifest Christ, according to the Gospel of John. When we come together, what do we share? We share Jesus Christ with one another. Uh, I used to teach at a Christian school in, in Denver called Jesus Center. And it was a fine Christian school. And we had kind of a, a Christian curriculum. And we'd have a chapel every week. And chapel was uh, some guy would get up with a guitar. And he would play and lead us in a few choruses. And that was okay. And there'd be a prayer. Had no offering there at the Christian school. But it, was, it kind of followed a format. Then they'd have a speaker come in. And the speaker would get up and give a message. And the kids were, this is Christianity. They were kind of bored. They got, they, they got fed up to here with that kind of Christianity. Now, it just so happened that I was a, a teacher there and I was teaching ASB. And I went to the principal and I said, can we try something a little bit different in chapel? He said, well, what did you have in mind? I said, well, let's just kind of forgo the, the worship and let's forgo the message. What? Let's not do those things. I said, let's just do this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. When you come together, when you assemble, different ones of you will have something that you can share. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to ask the kids to stand up and do this? They're too young. They're too immature. They don't know the Lord. It might get out of hand. I said, tell you what, let me work with ASB, the student leaders, for two weeks and I'll kind of train them how to do this and then we'll get up and we'll share it with the kids in the chapel. And he said, okay, we'll let you try it. Give it a shot. So that's, that's exactly what we did. Chapel normally lasted 30 to 45 minutes. 45 minutes max because we had to get back to class. The first chapel that we did this and we shared the basket principle. God has given you things to share today. On the spot. No pre, pre-warning. God has given you things. And you can see the people are on the edge of their seat. They could hardly wait to get up to share a verse, to share a rhema from the Lord, to share a problem they had. Please pray for me. They had so many things to share. Chapel went for three hours. Wow. We had to cancel classes. You are the secret. You are the one talent. And that's what God is calling forth today. In our midst, everywhere, all over the world. This is the time of the one talent Christians. We don't need to rely on the Billy Grahams. We don't need to rely on the core group as wonderful as they are. What we need to rely on is you and me to get up and share Jesus Christ. Remember one of the girls came one, one time at chapel 
And she said, the Lord gave me a song at five this morning. Can I play it? And she got up and she played the song. And the kids began to weep. They were so touched in their heart by this song that the Lord had given her. Another sister stood up at another chapel. And she was a, a, a PK, preacher's kid. And she was supposed to, <clears throat> you know, be all prim and proper. And she got up and she said, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with a sin. I'm struggling with resentment. Would somebody pray for me? And somebody said, those on either side of her, stand up. Just like when Moses was there and uphold her in prayer. And we prayed for this sister. Her life turned around because of the ministry that was taking place in the oneness of the body of Christ. That school was 300 strong. And in a few years, there were 1,300 kids in that school. It grew like you would not believe. Normally on a typical summer, that school would send out 25 kids to YWAM or Teen Missions to places around the world. It wasn't long before they were sending out 300 kids on summer missions because they had experienced Jesus Christ, the center of the universe, the center of God's heart, the most beautiful and attractive thing in the whole world. They had experienced the living, indwelling Jesus Christ. You could not stop them. And at the end of that year, I'll always remember the last chapel. And the kids were so full of praise and the glory of the Lord. Just singing to the Lord and praising Him. Nobody was leading it. We just came and said, Lord, you're in charge. You're the head of the church. During that meeting, the kids became so excited. They started marching. Okay, A long line of Christians through the chapel area, out the door, down the hall, praying over the classrooms, just like in that movie, the football movie, where the guy prayed over the lockers. Remember that? Some of you have seen it. They went three stories down, out into the parking lot. Big circle. All these kids. Lord Jesus, we claim Denver for you. All of Denver. And they were so excited. And I've, I've heard from these kids. They've gone out into ministry. Some haven't. But there was a fire that caught in their heart because they had experienced the most wonderful thing in the whole universe. The living, indwelling Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just the teaching of the Word. It wasn't information, but there was a revelation that they received of who the Lord really is. There's a sister where I work at DIY, and she has a problem with smoking. And I said, Sister, don't, don't worry about it. Oh, no, the Lord doesn't like it. I'm supposed to be holy. You know, be holy as I'm holy. I said, just focus on the Lord. There's a brother here in town. He's now divorced because he has a problem with pornography. His problem wasn't that he had too much pornography. It was that he had too little of the Lord. He didn't have enough of the Lord to overcome that. Remember John Wimber? Maybe you know of who he is. Great leader. Big guy. Yeah. He loved to eat. His problem wasn't his weight. His problem wasn't that he loved food. His problem was 
He didn't have enough of the Lord. After about three months, John, are you on a diet? No. Well, you're losing weight. He said, praise the Lord. And what he did was, even though he was so excited about ministry and what the Lord was doing through Vineyard, what he realized was that even he, as a leader of Vineyard, was not focused on the Lord the way he needed to. And when he changed his focus, when he made the Lord the central part of his life, the weight just fell off. He didn't need to eat because he was lonely or emotionally unhappy. He didn't need to eat till he was full. In Japan, they eat till they're 80% full. They stop. That's their culture. Not all people, but that's the way it has been for years and years. How do Americans eat? Till they're, till they're full and then a little bit more. Right? That's right. The excitement in church should not be the potluck. Okay? The excitement in church should not be bingo. The church is at you know, great thing. We need to go play you know, bingo, bingo night at church. Oh man. Can you imagine anything so superfluous? So meaningless as bingo? I remember I went to have dinner with some brothers and sisters. And I was kind of excited, you know, because these brothers and sisters, they, they really knew the Lord and loved the Lord. And uh, I was hoping to share with them a little bit. And uh, we get to the table and I'm going, oh my. Jello? A little bit of salad? There wasn't much there to eat. You know what? They didn't care. They ate the little bit that was there. The whole meal was based around sharing the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14.26 It's a missing principle. And it goes with the calling out of the one talent believers to be who they are in Jesus Christ and to share Jesus Christ with one another. There aren't too many brothers when I get together with them and we talk anything besides sports and the weather. Every once in a while, I'll meet a brother. There's one right back there. When we get together, we share the Lord. There's one right here. When we get together, we share the Lord. It's a wonderful experience. There are others of you. When we get together, what do we do? We, we talk scripture. We talk about the Lord. What is the Lord teaching you? What is the Lord doing in your life? It starts. Right? That's where it should be happening. But it doesn't always happen that way. Bill Gothard says that only 5% of married couples pray together on a regular basis. Hopefully, you and I are part of that 5%. Okay, I'm on page one, the first third. Uh, We have a long way to go. All right. Um, By the way, evangelism. uh, I was reading online this week where they they were talking about talking to pastors. How can you improve evangelism in your church? There were four things they said. First of all, give out Bibles. So give out Bibles in the community and to the people in your church. Secondly, use Christmas and Easter as a way to preach to those who come and they're not saved so you can get the gospel out and you can witness to them and evangelize and they'll get saved. The third one was have a training class. 
have a training class for those who are believers and you need to teach them two things. First of all, they need to be able to give their testimony. It's a three-minute testimony. They need to be able to stand up and say, okay, here's who it was, here's how I got saved, and here's the way it is now, and isn't Jesus wonderful? Okay? So be able to give a testimony. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? <clears throat> the second part of the training was know the plan of salvation for spiritual laws. Campus Crusade, we were taught to be able to write it out on a napkin. You're having coffee with somebody or a Coke, and you sit down and you write out the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay? Man cannot have that plan, cannot realize the abundant life because of sin in his life. Number three, Jesus Christ came to, he died to save us. Okay? And then number four, receive Christ as your Savior, the four spiritual laws. There's nothing wrong with that. Every one of us should be able to, one, give a testimony and give the plan of salvation if necessary. Number four, and this is what we oftentimes rely on, it's lifestyle evangelism. <clears throat> Girl at work, car wouldn't start. I get out, use my jumper cables, you know, give her a jump, and away she goes. You and I have done all kinds of things like that. Be a nice guy, be a loving person, help people out. Okay, lifestyle evangelism, and then when they say, and, and what's different about you? Why are you like this? How come you're helping me? Well, because of Jesus Christ. Then you can give the plan of salvation in your testimony. But so often, especially if you're part of Warren's church down in Orange County, the social gospel, we're going to build schools, we're going to build hospitals, okay? we're going to send, et cetera, et cetera. But there needs to be behind that always the message about the center of the universe, the center of God's heart, okay? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 15, kind of prepping us and getting us ready for what comes in the epistles, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. He says, just as I abide in the Father, the Father abides in me. Whether he was the first Christian, he lived the life himself. He lived that life himself. Abiding in the Father, the Father abiding in him. And then he says to us, abide in me and I in you. Just like the Father and I have a relationship on earth, you and I can have that same relationship. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, you know the verses. <clears throat> Paul writes about Christ in you, the hope of glory. No other foundation can any man lay except Jesus Christ. One thing I have asked of the Lord, said David. What was the one thing? What? That I may dwell in your house and behold the beauty of the Lord. One thing that he asked. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I determined to preach nothing but Jesus Christ. He said, I determined to know, to, to me, for me, I determined to know nothing except just Jesus Christ. When I come, I come knowing Christ. In Philippians 3, what did he say? I count all things as lost except for the one thing, to know Jesus Christ. Uh, he talked about Christ who is our life. He says, rejoice in the Lord. In Ephesians 6, he says, not only rejoice in the Lord, but be strong in the Lord. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Okay? In, in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. Okay? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34. 
David said, and this is my life verse, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on the earth. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Lord, it's just you in heaven. That's all I really want. And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. So he knew the reality of delight yourself in the Lord. And he said in Psalm 119, I have set the Lord continually before me. It's a total change. It's a total transformation. It's a total change of focus in our lives. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 11. Verse 38. Many of you know this passage. There are two ladies here, both living for the Lord. One has a fo- one focus, the other one has a different focus. Now, as they were traveling along, verse 38, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary. So we have Mary and Martha, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. Now, Martha was was focused on serving the Lord. She was focused on ministry. She was focused on doing things for the Lord. Mary, however, had a different focus. Notice verse 40. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, or if you will, her ministry. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Let's make things right here. Come on, I'm doing a great thing for you. And I need a little help. And she's just sitting there doing nothing. But the Lord, verse 41, answered her and said, Martha, Martha. And you can hear the gentleness when he speaks. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. The preparations, the ministry. She was doing good things. Jesus says, verse 42, but only a few things are necessary, just a very few of the many things, verse 41, that you're involved in. Then he says, really only one. There's one focus. There's one thing that we should be focused on. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Notice it was a choice. Recently I was offered a promotion where I work. Um, I'm working 40 hours already, making kind of good money. And there was a slight raise, but there was a tremendous amount of uh, extra work, extra stress. And the Lord said, don't take it, because it'll change your focus. He said, I, the little bit of the raise wasn't going to make a whole lot of difference. Okay? But the extra stress all of the extra hard work and the energy and being tired and exhausted and not being able to go home and be the husband that I should be? The Lord said, don't take it. I don't want you to have a career. I want you to make a living and pay the bills. I've given you enough to pay the bills. And so many of us want more. We want more. 
We're reaching out, trying to grab onto more and more and more of what? Things that don't satisfy, things that don't fulfill. Martha, Martha, you are, you are concerned about so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She sat listening to the words of the Lord at his feet. Oh, Lord, that we would be like Mary. That we have that kind of a life. And so we don't have the extra boat. We don't have the extra home. So we, we can't afford to go on such a wonderful vacation. Maybe what we need to do is just say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate some of those things in my life. I didn't really need the boat. Besides, you know, the boat was kind of a problem. It spent extra money, et cetera, et cetera. I remember my dad, he had, had this wonderful car. It was a, a 280Z. Back in the day, that was, that was it. And, and I watched him so enslaved and encumbered by that Z. The money that, it, that he put into it, you know, keep it up. The extra time that he spent polishing it. When he would go to a mall, he would never park by the door. He always parked way out. Because he didn't want it to get, oh, dinged, right? It had become a real problem for him personally. And it got in the way okay, of, of living the life that he needed to live. <clears throat> Philippians 4. Verse 12. Paul writing to the Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 12. I know how to get along with out my 280Z. I mean, with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity with the 280Z. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. There's a secret. By the way, there's a book called They Found the Secret. I recommend it highly. <clears throat> I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. So you have a lot to eat and you don't have a whole lot to eat. You can go hungry. Both of having an abundance and suffering need. My God shall supply all your need. That's uh, right there. Philippians 4 verse 19. We think God's going to meet all of our needs. Maybe not. Maybe there's time to be hungry. Maybe there's time to suffer. We read in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in all the all the people that live by faith. And we go, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh. Oh, wait a minute. That one was Sanan too. Oh. oh, that one got eaten by the lions. And we're going, oh, maybe there's more to this life of faith. Maybe there's more suffering. Read First Peter and Second Peter and we'll find out about it than we had originally planned. In the last days, difficult times will come. We may need to learn how to eat, not Domino's pizza, but refried beans or crockpot food. <clears throat> Here's the secret, verse 13. I can do all things. I can live in all situations, all circumstances through Him who strengthens me. And the word there, through, is actually in. I can do all things in Christ. It's a phrase that's repeated 147 times in the New Testament. And it talks about 
Abide in me and I in you. I can do things in Christ. When I'm living in that life and Christ is living in me, I can handle all those circumstances. How does he supply our need? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your desires change. There's a delight that you have. David, the beauty of the Lord. The focusing on the Lord, how beautiful that he is. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Well, he was an adulterer and he was a murderer. But he always came back and he said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? I desire nothing on the earth. Paul says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. How are we doing? You with with me? Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Last book that Paul wrote at a very difficult time in the history of the church. Writing to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in, there it is, in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, notice how this, this flows. Okay, The things you heard from me, Paul. And who heard them? Timothy. And then it says, these entrust to faithful men. So it goes, Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? So you've got Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and then others. Oh, I left one out. Where did Paul get them? Three years in the desert. What did he learn? And from whom? From the Father. Okay? In the desert, he learned some things that he had never known before. I've learned the secret. I can do all things in Christ. That was a lot more that he learned over the three years, right? Otherwise, he's a pretty slow learner. But he learned the one most important lesson. Okay, God the Father, during that time in the desert, said to Paul, Paul, there's something that is new. There's something that is dynamic. There's something that is different. What is it? Christ lives in you. Oh, praise the Lord. Second day, right after Pentecost. Pentecost, you know, speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit comes, baptizes. The next morning, they're all in the upper room. They wake up. What's going on? One of the brothers wakes up and he goes, Another brother wakes up. Sister wakes up and she starts to giggle a little bit. And they suddenly realize Christ is living within them. The Christ that they lived with for three years. The Christ that was crucified. The Christ that was resurrected. The Christ that sent the Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ, not the little baby in the manger, but Jesus Christ resurrected, ascended into heaven on the throne. He was living in them. And they had a life within them. They experienced that life. And that's what the one talent people are called to know, to live, and to express and to manifest wherever we go. You just share the Lord wherever you go. And it could be a testimony. It could be the four spiritual laws. It could just be something that God is teaching you. 
And I, I really like it because every once in a while I'll run into a brother and say, what's the Lord doing in your life? What's he teaching you? What's the rhema that you've gotten today? I love it when brothers and sisters do that because they realize that there's something going on inside of us that is so different, so magnificent. <clears throat> okay, that's page one. Uh, <laughs> by the way, one time when I was in South Dakota pastoring a church, I was asked to, to speak. And uh, I, I started at 10 o'clock in the morning. We finished about 4 in the afternoon. <laughs> so I, I hope that there's no ball game and there's no food in the oven. No, I, I, I will stop, okay? What the world needs now is... No. That's right, okay? Jesus, be the center. Um, I'm just going to tell a few little stories here quickly. Uh, there was a, uh, a girl when I was in graduate school, and uh, she was kind of... She wasn't very pretty. She was just kind of... You know, wasn't very good looking. She had been there one semester, and 12 guys had asked her to marry them. <laughs> Now, she wasn't very good looking. She didn't have, you know, and she didn't have a, okay. But she was so attractive. There was a beauty about her. First Peter chapter 3. Quiet and gentle spirit. There was something so wonderful about this girl. Every guy on campus, it seemed like, wanted to marry this girl. And I was one of them. <laughs> I didn't ask her to marry me because I, I remember we were, we weren't really dating, but we would do ministry stuff together. And uh, so I, I started writing poems, you know, love poems to her. And, and I was all excited because, you know, she was like, to me, she was gorgeous on the inside and, and on the outside too. And I, I gave her these poems and she read a few of them and she gave them back. I can't read these. I said, well, why not? Because I was thinking, you know, it's, it's you and me, honey. And, and she's thinking, ah. She said, the reason is these poems lead me to you and your love for me. Please write me poems that lead me to Christ and his love for me. That was the focus of her life and the focus of her heart. If you are one of those girls, every guy in the world is going to want you. I should be talking to teenagers, right? Because you're almost all, all the older. But... <clears throat> There's something wonderful and beautiful about a girl who is focused on the Lord. Unfortunately, she and I at one point, uh, after spending a number of months together, came to a time when she said, you know, we need to pray. We just need to seek the Lord about our relationship. Because, you know, there were some sparks flying both ways. And uh, so we prayed, got down on our knees about 11 o'clock at night. And we just said, Lord, speak. Tell us what your will is. And we both heard from the Lord, no. But she set a standard in my life that I'll never forget. She was a girl who was just so on fire for the Lord. And I mean, there were funny little things. Like I remember we were at the beach, you know, and, and the girls going by in bathing suits. And she said to me, nice eyes, huh? I like your eyes. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. But, but she was that kind of a girl who was always trying to get me to focus on the Lord 
and not on other kinds of distractions. I remember a brother, uh, he was, he and I went to graduate school together. Uh, he was a painting contractor and I was painting for him and he eventually got called to be a pastor at Calvary Chapel. The original Calvary Chapel, the tent and the, and the new building down there before they went to multiple churches all over Southern California and eventually all over the world. And uh, his name is Don McClure. You may have heard of him. He's in San Jose right now. And uh, I'll always remember Don, he said uh, to his Friday night Bible study, he says, you know, I love being a pastor at this church. It's one of the greatest churches in the whole world. I love being able to minister here and, and to preach the Bible. Okay? He said, but it doesn't even come close to something else. He said, I was driving on the way here this evening and the Lord came and just touched me in a special way. And I realized that the Lord himself is more important, Martha, than the ministry that I was involved in to catch my drift. And he said, you guys can't even hold a candle to the Lord. And he said, it wasn't ministry. It wasn't the greatness of Calvary Chapel and under Chuck Smith. I mean, some guys would give an eye. You know, anyway, you see what I'm saying. But Don, and that's the way he's been. I remember when uh, he had cancer and uh, he went in for surgery and they cut out part of one of his lungs. And he got up the next time he was able to, on a Sunday, and he preached. He said, I knew the Lord was going to take me home. I just didn't know it was going to be one piece at a time. <laughs> What an attitude. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Whatever it is that we're facing, and some of you are facing financial troubles. Some of you are facing you know, medical health issues. Some of you are facing relationship issues. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Think for a minute. What is it that is making you sad? What is it that's making you stressed? What is it that's making things difficult for you? I can do all things. Christ. Uh, one time I was having uh, marital difficulties and so I went to a brother to ask for advice and he said, oh yeah, let's get together. I go, oh, okay. So we're there and, and uh, I started to share about how I was right and she was wrong. <laughs> right? And I was, you know, I had all my ammunition. I've been writing all this stuff down. You may have done this too with a spouse or with a friend or somebody at work like your boss. Okay? And I, I had all these reasons why I was in the right and she was in the wrong. And he said, brother, let, let's not talk about that right now. Let's just fellowship around the Lord. You know what? I'm here to get, I'm here to get some advice. And so he, he just started singing a couple songs and shared a verse here and a verse there about the Lord and and how we could just kind of snack on the Lord and, and get a little bit of Him each and every day. We didn't have to have a big feast or a big meal. We could just have a little snack of Jesus during the day. And you know what happened? Christ came into our midst. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Christ came and melted my arrogant, selfish, self-centered heart. And I couldn't wait to get home and just raised my wife. Tell her I loved her. And be gracious. Yeah, be gracious. Let her be human. Let her make some mistakes. And not have this little pecking order of, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and you're not doing this right and I'm doing that. The Lord just melted my heart. And it was the Lord that came. There was no advice. He didn't say, well, we ought to read here Ephesians 5, verse 22. You know, wives do this and husbands do that. No. 
It wasn't the information. It was the presence of the Lord that came into my life. If brothers would get together and not give advice, but give the Lord, share the Lord with one another, a lot of the things that we'd struggle with, we go, big deal. Right? It's not so important. There was a brother one time, and he, uh, he asked another brother, what is patience? And the brother goes, well, let's see, it's uh, enduring when you're in difficult times, or it's uh, being able to go through suffering and you don't give up, you just keep trying. And the brother goes, no, patience is Christ. Sometimes we expect Christ to be a giver of good things and blessings. And he does. He, he does bless us and he gives us good things. He wants to be the gift. Sometimes we go to the Lord and we, we have a health ailment or somebody else does and we want him to be the healer. And he says, don't cut me short. Let me be the healing We have to change the way that we look at Christ. He's not the bellboy who carries our bikes, bags for us. I mean, yes, you know, he's, he's our Savior and he does wonderful things for us. But there's something else that's deeper and greater that Christ wants to be. I think it was all in all. Ephesians 3, the purpose that God set forth from the very beginning was that Jesus Christ would be all in all, the summing up of all things. And if all we want is the you know, the stuff that he gives us. All we want is the blessings. A lot of us have come into Christianity saying, if you receive Christ, then everything's going to be wonderful. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Okay? And eventually you're going to go to heaven. He's going to meet all of your needs. Sometimes there's the second half of Hebrews 11. Sometimes there's the suffering. And we didn't... I missed that email. They didn't send that to me when I first got saved. Okay? And it was like everything I touched turned to gold. Well, not everything. but okay. And, and that's sometimes what we expect from the Lord. We expect Him to take care of us and meet all of our needs. And sometimes He says, No, I need to do some difficult things in your house. I need to clean, clean up things in your house. I need to take care of this in your life. There needs to be some training. You will go through difficult times... For the, because he loves us, Hebrews chapter 12. But you're going to go through difficult things because he wants us, to, wants us to be in his heart. He wants to bring us into his heart so that we experience that. A couple of examples. Uh, remember Abraham's first son? Ishmael? Mistake. He was trying to do something on his own. And then when he was, as it says, 100 years old and good as dead, you know what that means, okay? he had a son. And he had this precious son that was given to him as a promise from the Lord. And then the Lord says, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to sacrifice your son to me. So he goes up the hill, sets everything up. The son says, well, where's the, where, you know, and father ties him down, takes out the knife, 
raises the knife to kill his son. And what does God do? Stop! Because at that moment, Abraham experienced the heart of God. The sacrificing of his only begotten son. And there was, there was a lesson there that Abraham, the father of faith, learned that he could learn no other way. He experienced the heart of the father in the process. God may take some of us through those kinds of experiences. Oh, by the way, what you're learning today, God will test today and tomorrow and from here on out. The kinds of things that you're learning now, okay, God's going to say, Yoo-hoo! Remember that little message you heard in church? Here it comes! Okay? And He will allow us to experience things that maybe we hadn't experienced before. <clears throat> Okay. Um, let's go to, seeing as we're talking about evangelism, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Most of you can quote it. Verse 18, we'll start with 28. Let's start with verse 18. And Jesus came up and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Wherever you see heaven and earth together, and there's something that's being declared about heaven and earth, that's a real key phrase. It's very significant. All authority has been given where? Heaven and on earth. Authority to whom? To Jesus Christ. And then we read, this is how we normally read it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, first of all, the first word, go, it doesn't say go. Most of you you know this, maybe not, okay? It doesn't say go. And we use this in missionary conferences, you know, and God has made a commandment, go into all the world. Who will stand up and be a missionary for Jesus and go into the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get all excited. It doesn't say go. There's no command there. What it says is, as you have been going, when you go, while you are going, the verb tense there is not a command. It's taking for granted that we're going to go into the earth. It's taking for granted that we're going to go into places around the earth. Okay? When you go. It's like wherever you go and when you go. What are we supposed to do? Not make converts, but make disciples. Right? And then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to change a little word here because the word baptize means to immerse. And we normally think, well, they were supposed to preach the gospel and make disciples, and part of that was to get them baptized, water baptized. But what it really is saying is immerse them into something. What is it there to be immersed in? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Name means the person and the work. It means all that the person is, okay? So all that God is, we are to immerse people. Being a disciple maker is not very easy. 
until we have come to the place where we ourselves have been immersed into all that God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, until we are totally covered up and consumed by the presence of God in our lives, I don't know if we're really qualified. Yes, we are because we're one talent. Yes, because we have the Holy Spirit. But there's a sense in which we've missed the mark. Our our standard is too low. We need to raise the standard of life that we experience in Christ so that we can then fulfill the great commandment, which is really not a commandment. Immersing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all the things that I commanded you. In the 60s, there were three ways to change society. Revolution, Reformation, and Revelation. In the 60s, we were all taught the same thing as we were going through college. If you want to change society, if you want to make the establishment better, if you want to make America better, if you want to make the world better, what we need is a revolution. They're talking about the communists. Overthrow the established government. Come in with our arms, you know, cut the throats, stab the people, kill them, whatever you have to do. Get rid of those bad guys, and we're going to come in as the new guys. Do you know what Hunger Games 2 is all about? You saw, anybody see Hunger Games 1? Okay. Hunger Games is the movie about the, uh, the, the kids that are chosen from the 12 districts in a time in the future. And they're pitted against one another to kill one another off, and one lives, supposedly. And in this particular movie, Hunger Games, there are two that live. In Hunger Games 2, what happens is the girl who wins, who has good character, and there's a kind of a righteousness about her, when she comes to power in Hunger Games 2, she's just as bad as all the other guys from before. And what she finds is, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. The wretchedness of the human condition without Christ. <clears throat> Revolution. That was the first solution. And I remember the guy in our campus, UC Santa Barbara, who preached it the most. His name was Jeff. And uh, interesting, interesting thing about Jeff, the police were called to his apartment because this guy who was preaching peace and revolution, he had gone after his roommate with a pair of scissors. And I'm going, okay, so this is the guy that's going to lead the new way, right? He's going to give us the example. The second way okay, was reformation. We're going to try and reform the system from within. We're going to vote in so-and-so. What the world needs now, oh, what the United States needs now is a new president, a conservative president. We're going to reform it. Senator Hatfield, who was governor of Oregon, <clears throat> he was governor and then he became a senator. He went to Washington, D.C., washed his hands of the whole political system. He said there's no way you can righteously change America through political reformation and change the laws, change the politics. It's just not going to happen. The third way is revelation. And it has to do with giving a picture, a little snapshot of something. And I remember Bill Gothard, if you've been to Institute and Basic Life Principles, he shares this concept over and over and over. What our nation needs yeah, there's, there's, you know, humility, there's repentance, and there's fasting, and turn from our ways, and the Lord will heal our land. That's true. But what Bill shares is what the United States needs is a picture of Jesus Christ, and it's going to come through individuals as we 
live out the indwelling Christ, but more importantly, it's going to come through the corporate expression of Christ in our nation. Now, that's a whole other story. Okay? It's a whole other sermon. I hope I get asked back. I don't, hopefully, they won't kick me out the door. But anyway, I'll be happy to share how that can happen through, through the church. At the end of the first century, when times were very, very difficult, because um, God has a way. His way is always Christ. I am the way. God has a way of bringing about change and reformation in a spiritual way, not through politics, not through voting, and not through arms, and not through revolution, but by giving the people a, a spiritual picture, a snapshot of Jesus Christ through the church. And... <clears throat> What did John write? The Gospel. Fresh picture of the life of Christ. And then he wrote the Revelation. And Revelation is not primarily about prophecy as it is a picture of Christ. It is a revelation. Is it a revealing of Christ in the end times? And so what he gave the church, remember the seven churches? Revelation 2 and 3 and all the problems they had. There was only one that he didn't you know, slap, give a little spanking to. He said, what you need is you need a picture of Jesus Christ and who he really is. And that's always God's way. What is God's way for us in Big Bear Valley? A picture of Jesus Christ, individually and corporately. Uh, Let me just do two more things here. Let me give you some warnings. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 3. Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. I am afraid, Paul was afraid of something. He's going to give a warning here to the believers. I am afraid, lest as the serpent, that's Satan, deceived Eve by his craftiness, and Satan is very crafty. We are going to be making disciples. Who else is making disciples? Satan. There's a kingdom coming. Who else is building a kingdom? Satan. He's not dumb. He knows exactly what he's doing. Lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from something. Notice here it's, it's not being a good Christian or being a good husband or making money and, and providing for your family. It says here, led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Satan's going to come and, and he's going to deceitfully, craftily try and deceive us and distract us away from Christ. Galatians 1 verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. These are Christians. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him. We get saved and then we go on with our life. And the Lord says, don't, don't be distracted. Don't move away. And then Colossians 2, verse 8. By the way, these kinds of passages are repeated over and over throughout the New Testament. Warnings. 
about moving away from Christ as our centrality. Colossians 2, verse 8. Let's start with verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, in the same way that you received Christ, in the same way that Christ came into your life, now walk in Him. So in other words, you don't just receive Him and then go on with your life without Him. But you walk in Him. And then verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and the word there is cosmos, the world system, rather than according to Christ. That's our standard. Don't be led away from Christ by all these other things. Let's stay focused on the Lord. And then the last thing is uh, Matthew 4. So much for pages 2, 3, 4, and 5. Anyway, uh, Matthew 4. Verse 13. I'll start with verse 12. This is speaking of the Lord in Matthew 4, after the temptation, the first part of Matthew 4, the three ways in which he was tempted. It says, uh, verse 12, Now when he heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. So he had been down in kind of the, the southern and the central parts of Israel. And Galilee is up in the northern part of Israel. And it says, verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, which is you know where he was brought up and raised, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, not the Mediterranean Sea, um, the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. In other words, there was a prophecy about this that was made about Christ. And Zebulun and Naphtali, it was the, the area of the, the Gentiles. Let's see, verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So what we have here is we have a, a combination of Jews and Gentiles living in northern Israel, and there was a prophecy that was given in Isaiah 9 just before they were judged and the wrath of God came upon them. And they were going, oh, wait a minute. It wasn't just about the Jews. It wasn't just about the nation of Israel. This is about Jesus Christ during the time that he lived. It says there, verse 16, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Now they were they were sitting. They weren't standing. They were sitting in darkness. And it says, and in the land. Okay. And to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. So they were sitting in darkness. And it's not talking about day and night. You know, During the day we have light and during the night we have darkness. It's talking about a spiritual darkness. They were sitting in darkness. And they were sitting in the land or they were sitting in a culture that was a mixture. Jews and Gentiles. It was a mixture of God's people and those who weren't of God. And it was a prophecy about Christ coming there. And it says a great light. Not just a light, but a great light. And a light dawned. <clears throat> Who is the light? Well, in Isaiah 9, it talks about, if you read on there, it talks about all the, the names that were given to Jesus Christ. Where it says, you know, the wonderful counselor, you know, the prince of peace, etc., etc. And, and then in this passage, it talks about 
after he takes care of the leadership, verse 18 to 22, it says, verse 23, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, theirs to the Jews, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing okay, every kind of disease and sickness among the people. And the news about him spread into all of Syria. And, and now we're talking beyond the Jordan, just like it was prophesied in Isaiah 9. They brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases, pains, you got any pain? Demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics. He healed them all. And here's verse 25. And great multitudes followed him. And then it talks about this. it spread south to Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. <clears throat> they were sitting in darkness. Now, I, I don't have a whole lot of time to go through all of the darkness that we are facing in our society. Um, there are promises you know, that we've been delivered out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, but we also know that men love darkness. Um, there was a sister, fourth grade girl at Living Waters Christian Academy who loved the Lord, memorized scripture, and she was just really focused on the Lord. She was a great witness at Living Waters Christian Academy. Uh, just recently, Julie talked to her mom, and the girl had gotten a boyfriend. And the mom said, well, it's about time for me to have the purity talk with my daughter, because they were holding hands in front of the parents, but she wasn't quite sure what they were doing in private. So she decided it was time to have a little purity talk with the, the daughter. So she sits down with the daughter, and she says, well, you know, you're a Christian, and you know what the scriptures say about you know dressing modestly, et cetera, et cetera. And she went through the whole thing. And the daughter goes, Mom, this is the 21st century. Get a life. And all of a sudden, she realized the darkness that had come into her home. And, and, and the girl who had been at Living Waters and memorized scripture and was a witness and a testimony in chapel of the Lord She'd gone from homeschooling to public school. And she'd been exposed to all the darkness in the public school. One of the things about Living Water that we stress was the American government has taken God and the Bible and prayer out of schools. We want to put it back. She went to a public school where they had taken God and the prayer and the Bible out. She had been exposed to a, a whole long list of occultic kinds of things. Harry Potter, well, teachers like it because the kids read. Twilight, well, it's just, you know, just kind of a story, right? But we have this whole generation for years. It can go all the way back to the 50s to Bewitched. Remember the TV series? Yeah. And, the, and the girl in it, you know, okay, and she had the, the cute little body, and it was a comedy, and we laughed, and we entertained ourselves with witchcraft. If you remember that, but it was it was the beginning, it was the entry into the occult. And Star Wars, may the force be with you. What is the force? It's witchcraft. Well, there's black magic and there's white magic. You know, and the white magic that's the good magic, and that's okay. No, any kind of witchcraft is wrong. And so we have a whole generation of kids who are being raised in the occult. What is Twilight all about? Sucking blood. Drinking blood. And the next step is eating flesh. Sacrificing human beings and eating the flesh. It's cannibalism. Oh, we just heard about that. All the various situations where people are eating the faces off of other people. Right? 
And we've seen the movies, you know, the aliens, and they come. What do they want? They want your blood and they want your body. They want to eat you. And so we have a whole generation of people that are being raised on occultic practices. And so no wonder this teenage girl says, Mom, it's the 21st century. Get a life. And the life, of course, is in Christ, but it's not in these other kinds of things. We live in darkness. We went from don't ask, don't tell, to just recently the president had a gay pride dinner in the White House. And they came through and they flipped off Ronald Reagan because of the way that he did not respond, according to them, correctly to homosexuals and the HIV crisis. Don't get me started. I won't. (laughs) The Constitution is being undermined. Capitalism is being undermined. Um, There's just a whole series of things that are going on. I remember back in the 60s when, for the first time in a movie, a girl unbuttoned her blouse, showed her bra. We were all shocked. Now, that doesn't even come close to what we see in the movies. Remember the first time that John Wayne said D-A-M? Now, the profanity in the movies and entertainment. Rap music is one of the worst. Whether it's movies or music or magazines, all the things that are pervading our culture, they were sitting in darkness, spiritual darkness. And right now the United States is sitting in darkness. Romans 1 goes through the various stages before the wrath of God comes. The first thing is they they saw that God existed and they had the witness inside themselves that God actually existed, but they did not honor him as God. First stage. Well, we're going to take God and the prayer and the Bible out of schools. We're going to take God and the prayer and the Bible out of government. We're going to take God and prayer and the Bible. We're going to take those out of business. I mean, you can't have a nativity scene in a city. You can't do certain things in our country. We're removing that from our whole society. They did not honor God as God. Then what happens? God gave them over to sexual impurity. Sexual sin, fornication, adultery. And they didn't listen. What happened next? Homosexuality. They did not honor men as men and women, but they used them one for the other. And then the last stage is a depravity. So it's a depraved mind. And I won't read the list to you, but there's a whole long list, again, which is not exhaustive, but is only suggestive. Romans chapter 1. There are four verses. Romans chapter 1. A whole long list of the kinds of things that we are already seeing in our society. And the last verse in Romans 1, verse 32 says... And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same. What's the sign of the decay of a culture? All these things that are listed here. By the way, if you look at the seven things that have to do with the the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, welfare state, homosexuality, violence is their entertainment. Let's go to the Colosseum. Let's watch somebody eat the Christians. I mean, the lions eat the Christians. Notice in verse 32, they not only do these things, but they give hearty approval, which means they entertain themselves with these kinds of things. 
which means that they legalize these kinds of things. We are in the last days of America, according to that passage. In the last days, difficult times will come. Will you and I be ready? Well, I, I hope that we will. <coughs> um, Are you with me? Amen. <laughs> um, what should we be doing? We should have a church service. We should have home group meetings where we practice 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Because God is raising up the one talent people. He is calling you to be participants and not just spectators. He's calling you to be able to share for Christ. And whether that's a conversation on the phone, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's in a home group, whether it's in a church meeting, we should have the freedom and we should be expressing Christ. All of us, not just two or three. Not just those that are the two talent people or the five talent people. But God is raising up the one talent people in our midst. Have you ever been in a service where you know, maybe they're up here leading worship and the Lord gives you something and you want to share it? Maybe the Lord gave you a verse or he gave you a song. Oh, I, I got another song that goes with that. Or you have a verse. Oh, I have, I have a, a verse and that, that fits right in. I'll bet you've been in a service where God, the Holy Spirit, has been prompting you to speak and you sit on it. What we need is that kind of, of freedom. Will it get out of hand? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> Anybody seen Act of Valor, the movie? Yes? Okay. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a scene there where um, just before they are deployed, and I'll finish with this last story, I think. Anyway, <laughs> there, there's a scene there before they are deployed, and uh, uh, they're at the beach with their families, and the, the leader of the group calls them all over and kind of leaves the wives and the kids off doing their thing. And uh, he says, men, when we... Uh, Take off tomorrow. Make sure everything is right with your wife, with your family. Do whatever it takes. Make sure that you're in a right relationship with your wife and there are no disagreements and you've talked through any issues that have come up. Make sure that you're you know, strong with your kids and that you have a, a sensitive heart for you and your kids. Okay? Because when we go, you have to be completely focused on the mission. And part of our responsibility, what do we do? Take care of the things that are, take care of the baggage. Let go of it. Take care of the things, the relationships. Take care of the, the, the problems at work or the problems at home. Work through your finances. Do something so that things are right, so that you can be completely focused on the Lord and the mission that is set before us. Uh, almost at the end of the movie, they're in a firefight. And uh, bullets are flying. People are getting shot. There's blood. Not everywhere, but a lot of places. And it's not such a, a hearty scene. And one of the guys stands up and says, We have warrior in our blood. We have warrior in our veins. And he calls them to the identity that they have as warriors, or as we would say, soldiers in Christ. And I would say to you, we have the life of Christ inside of us. 
we have the life of Christ in our blood. We have the life of Christ in our veins. And we need to remember who we are. Here's what not to do. Arnold Palmer wrote a book on how to play golf. And he says, well, you know, you come to you know, this, this particular hole and, and it's this far away and so you choose this kind of a club and you got this kind of a lie on the, pla- on the, on the, uh, the green and, and so you got to make sure you do this. And, and he's got all these instructions on how to play golf the Arnold Palmer way. What we have done with this is we've made it the Arnold Palmer way, if you will. And we get to a situation where we go, okay, now what do I do about finances? What do I do about my marriage? What do I do? We get instruction, whereas God wants to give us a revelation. How does he do that? If we could take a piece of Arnold Palmer and inject it into us, and it suddenly begins to permeate our whole being. Oh, that's what the indwelling Christ is all about. He wants to come inside and indwell us. And so we don't have to, when we're, we're looking at the lie, going, okay, now what club do I use? Oh, I better check the book. Why? Because there's something living inside of us. Jesus said, when I hear the Father speaking, I speak. What I see the Father doing, I do. He had that kind of an intimate relationship. A lot of our prayer is us talking, but we don't listen. God says, woohoo, hey, I'm here. I want to speak. One of the neatest things that a husband and a wife can do is pray about a situation and then wait for God to speak. Because He will. There needs to be that kind of a husband-wife relationship where they can hear like this other girl, Cindy and I did. The Lord said, we need to hear from the Lord because of the indwelling of Jesus Christ. And then we can you know, win tournaments like Arnold Palmer did. Um, it's, it's way past time. I appreciate you kind of hanging out beyond that. If we had another half hour, here's what I would do. I would say that some of you have been touched by what has been said and you are ready to stand up and say something. You are ready to stand up and testify. We don't have time to do it right now, but what I recommend is this. As you go home with the people you're going home with, stand up and testify to the reality of what you've heard. You may go, oh, I don't know, I disagree with that guy. He's way off base. Whatever it is, God has put in your heart something to discuss, something to share with one another. Yes? How many many of you have a response right now? Anybody? Not many. Okay, well, so much for coming back a second time. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, Paul prayed that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, the full knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray for not just information about your son, but a revelation, a deep inner revelation that we might say uh, with Paul that he, uh, you revealed your son in me. And that there would be a revelation inside of us that we could then share. That we have a revelation to, in, and through. Not only individuals, but the whole church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you. Hi. Oh, thank you. Hi, Sherry. Oh, okay. Thank you.
Could you call me? Sure. Is that ever done? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're real, they're real important questions. Oh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be more than willing. Like you mentioned, you knew about uh, uh, darkness. Yes. And um, I have a property, and it's surrounded by people of darkness. Yes. And I, I live here now. I can't even go home. Hmm. And um, it, it's just, uh, you know, something I'd like to create about, something I'd like to learn. 